welcome to podcast number 61 for Thanks for Your Service. Our focus is on historical topics relating to the Australian military. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube. Just search for Thanks for Your Service. Our website is www.thanksforyourservice.net and you can email us at info at thanksforyourservice.net. Bill Sellers is an Australian journalist who has been living on the Gallipoli Peninsula since 2002. He talks to us about life on the peninsula, its history and the World War I battlefields. So joining us on the line from Ejiabat on the Dardanelles Straits in Turkey is Australian journalist Bill Sellers. Many thanks today for joining us, Bill. Not a problem. Glad to be here, David. Now, can we start off with a bit of a geography refresher? Can you give us an overview of the Dardanelles? Well, the Dardanelles are, it's a waterway uh, that runs from the Aegean up into Turkey's inland Sea of Marmara. Uh, There's a further outlet, the Bosphorus, that runs through Istanbul, which goes into the Black Sea. So it is, uh, the two straits are the connection between the Black Sea to the Aegean and Mediterranean, and as such are some of the busiest waterways in the world. More than 50,000 vessels Every, uh, every year pass through here, uh, a number of whom that uh, carry hazardous cargoes, oil, gas, what have you, from the Black Sea regions. Uh, but they are one of the main maritime lifelines for that whole uh, Black Sea littoral region and also for Turkey. So the Dardanelles themselves are about 45 kilometres long. Uh, they start at a place called Cape Helles and uh, enter the Sea of Marmara at the town of Gallipoli, Gallipoli, as it is known to uh, English speakers. Narrow and winding at its narrowest point, it's only about uh, 1,600 metres across. At uh, times, the current flowing down from the Black Sea, very stiff, uh, something that the, um, the Allied Navy found in, uh, in 1915, trying to uh, push their way up against a two to three knot current in the spring coming down yeah. and a large focus of our podcast today obviously is on the on the gallipoli campaign and and the anzac the australian connection and the new zealand connection but in terms of world war one what was the what was the strategic importance of the straits to the allies and the turks well, for well for the turks obviously the strategic importance was to maintain their territorial maritime integrity uh, against the Allied uh, push, which for the Allies, the Dardanelles represented a warm water access to Imperial Russia. For months and months of the year, uh, a lot of the uh, Russian ports in the, um, the Baltic elsewhere were shut off due to the extremes of winter weather and also due to German uh, naval activity. Uh, but the Dardanelles represented a warm water access to the Black Sea and to Imperial Russia. The plan was to uh, gain access to Russian grain to feed allied, uh, the Allied peoples while using the Dardanelles and Bosphorus as a, um, a supply route for weapons, uh, munitions and other military supplies to the Imperial Russians. Rather a flawed idea because at the time uh, the Allies didn't have uh, munitions or supplies or ammunition to provide to the Russians, but that was the thinking at least. Mm. And, and Churchill was the first Lord of the of the Admiralty. And what was his plan for the Dardanelles campaign? Well, Churchill 
saw that the Navy, and he was, as you say, the First Lord, uh, the, 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 naval, the Minister for the Navy, he saw that the Navy had, the British Navy, had a large number of pre-dreadnought, aged, battle, aged battleships, some of them 20, uh, 15, 20 years old, that were no longer fit for service against the modern German fleet, but provided very, very powerful floating gun platforms. And his plan, as he saw it, was to use these excess ships to push their way through the Dardanelles, knocking out uh, defences uh, as they moved forward, uh, to push through the Dardanelles and up to Istanbul, the uh, the Ottoman capital, uh, to well force the Ottomans out of the war, uh, and again open up those supply routes to Russia. Now the Ottomans didn't join the war immediately as their uh, their German allies did. It was not until the end of October 1914 uh, that they entered the war, uh, attempting, if you like, a um, maritime Pearl Harbor on the Russian fleet. The entire Ottoman fleet, or that of which was capable of, of uh, sailing into the Black Sea, left Istanbul, sailed into the Black Sea, and opened a surprise bombardment against the Russian ports of Odessa, Novorysk, uh, and around the Crimea. Um, if you like, as you say, it, it is, a, well, as I said, it was a comparable to uh, Pearl Harbor, an undeclared war. Mm. And from that moment, the Allies declared war on the Ottomans and Churchill immediately saw an opportunity, as he believed it to be, to uh, knock an ally of the Germans out of the war, but also to maintain the support for the Russians, who were struggling in the early parts of the war. They were on the back foot against uh, the Germans in uh, Poland, Galicia, and uh, it was seen as there was support needed to, to their vital ally. Now, you first visited there some 35 years ago, and you've been living there since 2002. What are some of the changes that you've seen in that time? Well... Turkey itself has changed very much in 35 years. Um, it has gone from a predominantly uh, agricultural nation to one that is um, increasingly industrialised and busy. It is now one of the G20 nations, one of the 20 largest economies in the world. The changes here in some ways have mirrored that. Uh, instead of uh, dirt tracks, there are highways. There's easy access to the peninsula. Uh, there has uh, been a lot of development on the peninsula itself, opening up uh, areas of the, uh, the battlefield and everywhere else for, uh, for visitors. I wouldn't say that all the changes, by no means would I say that the all the changes here have been positive. There has been a, a loss, a degradation of some of the historical sites in this area, in the push to open the area up for for tourism the battlefield areas are now under uh, controlled by an, um, an agency that is part of the turkish ministry of culture and tourism so there isn't mm -hmm. a strong emphasis on that another change that has occurred as a result of this is that and especially the emphasis of the current government 
to bring more people here, which in itself is not a bad thing, in that now up to 2 million Turkish people every year visit the battlefields, mm-hmm. compared to when I um, moved here in 2002, maybe 200,000. So there's been a, an exponential increase in the number of visitors. And roads and facilities have been developed to accommodate that. At times, at the expense of some of the historical sites. Mm. Uh, that is a change. Um, but access is improved. There are far more Turkish memorials uh, and sites that have been built around here. Many of the original Ottoman era cemeteries were overgrown and perhaps even lost. Uh, they have been mapped and tracked down. Some of them have been cleared and redeveloped allowing people to 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 visit those cemeteries in a way that um, we members of the Commonwealth visitors Australia New Zealand the UK and elsewhere have been able to visit for the last hundred years uh, the, mm. the cemeteries and the memorials commemorating the fallen from the Allied side that are maintained by the Commonwealth War Graves Commission so those are changes a great increase in visitor numbers a great increase in the infrastructure to facilitate those numbers. And in terms of the battlefields on the peninsula, what are some of the, for people who haven't visited there, what are some of the relics that people can still see today? Well, first and foremost, um, there are so many of the trenches, especially in the ANZAC, Australian New Zealand Army Corps sector, uh, which was after the war dedicated as one large cemetery in its entirety. So there has not been development or farming uh, at any large scale in that area. So apart from the the cemeteries were built by the War Graves Commission in the 1920s, and some of the infrastructure that have been put in, some of it more recently, much of the battlefield area has been left untouched. And in that undergrowth and under the uh, the trees there there are still the trenches they can easily be traced um anyone who has the interest and a copy of a good trench map can plot and position many of those uh, those trenches and locations as they are now walking the battlefields yes there you will still find bits of tin bullets cartridges left over from those times one of the most ubiquitous um relics you will find at least in the allied sectors is fragments of broken ceramic which come from rum jars uh, it was a standard issue for the um, commonwealth troops a tot of rum hundreds of these jars remain smashed broken in the areas you can always plot where british troops were for an extended period of time because you will find pieces of rum jar there uh, so that is one of the great battlefield archaeology pointers if you like to the to where British troops were in occupation, you will find Ramja. So there are fragments of relics. There are uh, bullets. It must be said at times that human remains will turn up, uh, especially after rains. It has been many many years since a an identified the remains of a, a soldier have been identified, but fragments of um, of human remains turn up and are quite generally just covered. The idea is to just quietly cover them over, put them out of uh, out of um, out of line of sight, because again, they are now part of the fabric of the terrain. You spoke about the the uh, vast increase of visitors 
to the peninsula, especially from a Turkish perspective. But in the time that you've been there, has the profile of the Australian or the Kiwi visitor changed in any way? I wouldn't say that the profile has changed greatly. The way that Australians and New Zealanders visit here has. The age of the backpacker, someone coming, uh, coming down on a local bus from Istanbul and staying a couple of days, uh, maybe taking a tour or just walking over the battlefield, for many people, that's gone. The backbone of the daily, of the regular tourism industry here are day tours. People staying in Istanbul, they book a tour from an agent in, in Istanbul. They are picked up by uh, the tour company's bus first thing in the morning, maybe seven o'clock in the morning from the hotel, right at the door. They're driven down here. They're here by about 12 o'clock, brief lunch. And then they will do a tour that will last about four hours over the battlefields, a uh, hop on, hop off tour, basically, Look, taking in most of the critically uh, important points of the uh, the story. And then the bus will return to Ejibat for a quick, and people will have a quick toilet break and then back up the highway to Istanbul. When I first came here, it was different. People would come down, they'd spend a few days and... Uh, you know, maybe a daily tour was a day, probably starting at 9.30 in the morning, finishing at about 4.35 in the afternoon. So for many people that has gone. But on the other hand, there are, you, are, you talk about the Australians and New Zealanders, but there's also a greater number of people from other countries whose uh, service men and women were here in 1915. Great increase in the number of English people who come here and also something that Australians and New Zealanders don't logistically can't do you have quite a few groups coming over here for maybe doing a one week tour there are a number of um, very good reputable uh, aid, uh, companies in the UK um, run by historians and others who may come over here once or twice a week and they'll do six or seven days on the battlefields or in Turkey a couple of days at Cape Helles, a couple of days at the An at Anzac, maybe a day on the Asian side of the Dardanelles, looking at the Ottoman uh, defences there, a day or so at Suvla, taking it yeah, taking it a lot more slowly. What you lose from the, the daily tours that are run now is the ability to take a bit of time. Mm. Oh, yeah, you have four hours to cover quite a lot of, uh, of, ter of terrain and a lot of history. This... And for many people, that's what they want. That is that that's satisfaction. They're, they're happy with that. And where I know there's been criticism of people coming here and only spending a very brief time, I've yet to meet anybody who hasn't come away from doing this tour a little bit more thoughtful. It's not a case of been there, done that, bought the T-shirt. It's a case of been there, done that, and they do a bit of reflecting. And so but for many people, that that is enough. But there are other people, and it is a growth industry, of people coming, spending more time, a few days, looking more at their own connections to history, be it a relative, be it an understanding of it. Many years ago, a friend of mine who's an Italian-Australian came over here and he stayed a few days, and we went out and we walked the battlefields extensively for a couple of days there. And he'd been born in uh, Milan, and he came over as, a, I think, about nine or ten years old staunchly Australian, except when it comes to, to football. Uh, but he just, at the end of it, he just sat, sat down and said, you know, I have a, I, now I understand what it is to be an Australian. That, he had no 
historical connection to the campaign, but it was a part of his identity. And if you stay here for a few hours or a few days, you can gain some sense of history and of understanding and of an understanding of what those men who were here on the peninsula actually went through. And we, we, we were talking just before the, the recording started. Obviously, for you, it's winter going into to, to spring. And is there, is there what, what are the best times to actually visit the peninsula? Well, um, April, at the end of April, can often be very good. That's going to be the risk of rain. But May, June, it can depend a little of what you're looking for. If you're really trying to understand a particular event, best to time it to when that event took place. Uh, but spring here is beautiful. Uh, the, uh, the moment the trees coming into flower, the uh, the Wargraves Commission cemeteries uh, are beautiful at the moment. The, a lot of the uh, the plants there are timed to flower in late spring, spring, so they're just coming into flower now. But a lot of groups come here in May uh, or in September when August can be stiflingly hot here. Uh, temperatures well well into the uh, the mid 30s so a lot of people find that a bit a bit too much so they um, they time their tours for September um, which is still dry but uh, usually a bit uh, a little a little less um, strenuous when it comes to actually if you're going to be walking and uh, putting in that effort spring uh, early autumn or early summer uh, are all good times to be here but i'm my wife and i we, we're still out we're still uh, walking even in the depths of winter you can get a lot of good weather here yeah. um crisp cold but uh, dry problem you can have in some of the the spring months is if we've had a wet winter certain areas are not accessible by car or even sometimes even on foot uh, especially out in some places such as the suvla sector but any time can be interesting. I, I wouldn't recommend winter, but spring mm. spring through autumn, it is, mm. good. it is good. It is good. Bill, what are you doing there now? Do you do tours as well? Um, no. Um, legally, foreigners are not allowed to be tour guides here in Turkey. Right. Uh, so, no. I, at times, uh, help out. People are looking for advice um, on how, you know, how to best, you know, how to best... Uh, visit here or looking for a particular a particular site a particular um area which a, a relative may have served yeah I, i'm more than happy to help out or things like that or you know a bit of advice on where to stay how to do it uh, i do advise staying here on the peninsula in Ejibat, uh, simply because of staying in Trinacli, more accommodation options more food options but it still takes you half an hour by ferry each way to get across so you lose time uh mm. each day and um, things like that, yeah. So, no, I don't conduct tours, but I'm more than happy to, uh, to provide a bit of advice if asked. And where can people follow you on Twitter and where can they contact you? Um, well, I can be contacted through Twitter um, and it's at capital B, Bill, capital S, Sellers, S-E-L-L-A-R-S. Um, so I can be tracked down, Sellers, Bill Sellers 2, in fact. Um, so I can be tracked down there if people uh, are out there looking for me. I uh, can search me up one way or the other. So 
yeah, more than happy for a bit of advice or uh, to help out whenever I can. There are other guides here. People can book online um, with tour companies here. They can also, and there are a couple that I would, would uh, perhaps recommend. There are a couple of good guides here as well who are, who are more experienced and who are able to answer questions um, and go a bit beyond. And also there's a lot more to the battlefields, to the history of this area than just Anzac. There's mm. a very strong Australian and New Zealand connection to the Hellas battlefields. And you asked before about the relics. Well, down there, some of the areas have also not been developed. So yes, you have the trenches, but you also have some of the landing beaches, complete with the piers and the jetties, the remains of those. Something I do a lot of um, in the spring through to the beginning of winter is, um, is snorkeling here. There are a lot of wrecks wrecks and uh, remains from the campaign in the deeper waters and there's been some very good documentaries done about them uh, especially by Turkish cinematographers uh, Savash Karakash is one but there are also there's a lot in the shallows the mm. piers, uh, wrecked barges uh, ships sunk as, as break ships and only a matter of a few metres and some of these piers you can just stand on the beach and look at them or if mm. you just want to walk into the water they're there and there's a lot of 1915 still just in the sand and just beneath the waves. Mm. So that's there's more than just visiting the battlefields and visiting a few cemeteries. There is a lot more here and also it's rather a good area just to visit. Good beaches, good food. It's something in a, in a slower pace of life than, than other places in Turkey. It's a good place to live. Well, certainly attractive for you being there since 2002. And yes. Bill, thank you so much for your time today. I really David, appreciate it. Most welcome. Most welcome. That's the podcast for today. Bill's Twitter ID is at BillSellers2, that's one word, and you can direct message him through Twitter. We're keen to hear your feedback by leaving a review on your podcast app. Your reviews help others find our podcast. You can help support this podcast via Patreon or buy me a coffee. The links are on our website and Facebook page and your support helps us with the production of this podcast. Thanks for listening and thanks for your service. <laughs>